Welcome to the Venture Church Podcast. This sermon was taken from the life of the church. For more messages like this, please see our website, www.venturechurch.co.za. We hope you enjoy this message. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing to be able to meet together and share uh, Christmas morning together. I think that there is always pressure on us who believe in Jesus to go with the flow, to rather prioritize, particularly if you have smaller kids, to rather prioritize our time around the tree. And that is great, and it has its, it has its time. But I think especially on a day like today, prioritizing putting Jesus first is really difficult and really important. So I'm going to try to honor your time. Not one of my greatest skills. And uh, just share something about the joy of Christmas. So I wanted to start with this. Have you eaten Omar? Or have you eaten Omar? It's amazing what a difference a comma makes, which is why I wrote it up to make explicit what I'm asking. It's incredible what difference a comma can make. And even bracketing of ideas around a key element can really impact the meaning of a phrase. And I want to start by reading you a a, a scripture from Romans 14. And you may think, can anything Christmas come out of Romans? And the answer is, hmm, we will see. Romans 14, I want to read from verse 16 through to verse 19. And I'm reading from the NIV. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. So my bracket is around that uh, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy, bracketed, in the Holy Spirit. I want you to see clearly that it's not just joy that the Holy Spirit brings, but it's also righteousness and peace and joy that he brings. It is 14 has been kingdom characteristic. So Romans 14 has been talking uh, about a whole lot of other stuff. You know what happens when you read just one one verse from the Bible? Often you you imagine how it fits in, and then when you actually read it (laughs) in its context, it can be a bit of a shock. Well, Romans 14 is one of those. It's not talking about the wonders of the kingdom or the king of the kingdom, Jesus. It's talking about idol worship. It's talking about hot cultural topics that were facing Christians at the time. Hot cultural topics that people had strong opinions about. 
but that the scripture didn't directly address. And Paul lays out a pattern for how to handle those things. And he says, doing stuff isn't necessarily bad. Not doing stuff isn't necessarily bad when it's not talked about in the scripture. Making a big deal about doing stuff that isn't talked about by the scripture is is a problem. And making a big deal of not doing stuff that's talked about, that's not talked about in the scripture is also a big deal. Why? Because we can hurt one another. So if um, observing, well, let's tread on some nice toes. So what does the scripture not talk about that we make a big deal about? Well, Here's one, smoking. We make a big deal about smoking. Can you point me to a scripture that talks about smoking? Well, it's probably not good to destroy your body. Yeah, that may be true. But if you're making a big deal, and I have been in in Christian meetings where people who are addicted to this thing can't stop and they are utterly condemned. Well, that's exactly what Romans 14 is talking about. Also, observing special days, like Christmas. If we make a big thing of it, because hopefully what we're doing today is making a big thing about Jesus. And we're using Christmas as an excuse. (laughs) Because Christ without Christmas I don't know, there was a big thing a few years about ago about trying to shorten Christmas because it's such a long word and none of us can spell anymore, which has always been true of me, but that's a whole other story. We're shortening it to Xmas. I think the Scots would have been happy because it had the, the X-shaped cross. But, uh, sorry, that was obviously <laughs> too deep. <laughs> Christmas, yes. But the point was removing Christ from Christmas. If we focus on the day, and it's the day that's important, then it's really easy to miss Christ. And that's what Paul has been talking about. And in the midst of that, he gives these incredible kingdom characteristics. And they're not necessarily what we would think. They are righteousness. Actually, I'm going to come back to this. So Paul is saying here in Romans 14, hey, it's important to recognize other people and other people's needs. Not just any need, but their legit, biblically legitimate needs, because we have a lot of needs. But culturally, we tend to extend that to everything that we want. There are boundaries. There are things that are harmful and hurtful to us spiritually, emotionally, physically. And um, we we need to recognize what those things, those are not necessarily biblically legal. (laughs) Dangerous word. They're, They're outside the bounds of the goodness of what God has provided for us. And let's remember that the kingdom, God Establish the kingdom, and if we look at the characteristics of the kingdom, it is a kingdom of radical freedom. 
If we think about things that are happening in the world at the moment, there is a kingdom trying to invade another kingdom. <laughs> to put it in biblical language, there is no freedom intended in that anywhere. But God's invasion of the world through his King Jesus brought radical freedom. And the characteristics of the kingdom reflect that freedom. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Not righteousness, peace, and sucking on lemons. Joy is a characteristic of the kingdom. And the kingdom is a big deal. It's one of the key, I'm gonna use the word picture, but it's more than a picture that Jesus came to announce. When you read the beginnings of, of each of the, the first three gospels, Jesus said, now that I've come and I've been revealed, I've come to announce that the kingdom is here. Mark 4, 7, uh, Matthew, maybe I shouldn't say this. Matthew 4, 17, Mark 1, 15, Luke 4, 43. Jesus announced the kingdom has come. And his post-burial ascension, Jesus was crucified, died, was buried, raised from the dead, and ascended. His ascension was the ascension to a throne. And as we, we hear him described often as being seated at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That is the picture of a coronation or having been coroned, <laughs> enthroned as king. So Jesus has come into a kingdom. I'm gonna, not going to jump ahead of myself, but there are these three characteristics. The first one is righteousness. Making sure that you are right or in right standing with God according to his evaluation. I think one of the, the greatest challenges to helping people understand the good part of the good news that is the gospel is understanding this thing of the fact that we have to be right according to God's standards, not according to our own perception. I'm good enough for your kingdom, Lord. There were some stories of that in the Gospels. But we come to God on his terms. We try to come to God on our own terms, but we don't come away righteous. We don't come away in right standing with him. And this is where the kingdom starts, the kingdom reality starts in us with righteousness. That big marmalade word, that is full of juicy, beautiful meaning and implications. The second characteristic of the kingdom is peace. And I spent quite a lot of time last Sunday talking about peace, but peace is that the character of the kingdom is dominant in your life, character and lifestyle. The character of the kingdom is dominant in your life, character, and lifestyle. A lot of things we looked at, that it's peace is not just 
the cessation of violence. It's also the establishment of what is good, certainly when it comes to the kingdom of God. And the third characteristic is joy. That is the attitude of thanksgiving that comes from being in the kingdom. So some of you might have heard this. I know I have over the years heard quite a lot of talk about there's a big difference between joy and happiness. I'd like to suggest to you that the one incorporates the other. But I want to start by saying that joy is part of the goodness of God. Joy is part of the goodness of God. In James 1.17 we read, Every good and perfect gift is from above, from the, uh, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. A beautiful piece of poetry that basically says good comes from the one who is good. Joy comes from the one who is good. The Father is joyful. It takes a bit of effort sometimes to get our brains around how the Bible describes God. Even being able to embrace God as a good father is a genuine struggle for some people. And that's real. Embracing the fact that God as good father is joyful can be one of those things. It is a kingdom characteristic to be joyful because the king of the kingdom is joyful. I'd like to suggest that happiness completely encompasses, surpasses, embraces, envelops, swallows up happiness. I want to give you the first of two definitions that I read, which I found very helpful in terms of understanding a biblical picture of joy. Closely related to gladness and happiness is joy, although joy is more a state of being than emotion. It's a result of a choice and is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Yo, there's a lot in there. But joy doesn't happen accidentally. It isn't limited to a moment when we're feeling a particular way. It's grounded in our being, which is based on our values, our decisions. Sometimes joy manifests as happiness. <laughs> Those are the nice moments. But it's not limited to and it's not dictated by happiness. So joy swallows up happiness. Not that happiness is gone, but that happiness is only a part of the expression of joyfulness. And I love this idea that it's, uh, it's more a state of being than just an emotion. My second uh, definition. The experience of joy is the experience of deliverance and the anticipation of salvation providing the most significant, or sorry, the experience of deliverance and the anticipation of salvation provide the most significant occasions for rejoicing among the people of God in the Old Testament. 
So this is kind of a summation of how joy is talked about in the Old Testament. The coming of the Messiah who delivers his people and brings salvation becomes the basis for rejoicing in the New Testament. The response of joy, gladness, happiness is not only a deep inward feeling, but is expressed in celebration when God's people gather together. Some of us have lost this recognition that the celebration that is part of Christmas and sometimes gets a little carried away is rooted in this reality of the character of the kingdom, joy. We don't celebrate because it's a great opportunity to get drunk. We celebrate because we are filled with joy because it's a part of who we've become. We are joyful because of Jesus. <laughs> and how do I know that we're joyful because of Jesus? Because it is a fruit of the Spirit to be joyful. Galatians 5.22. And I'm only going to read the bit that counts for us this morning. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, etc. The Holy Spirit works. And interesting. I think this is why when we read that Romans 14, we only connect joy uh, with the Holy Spirit because here's Paul in, um, in Galatians connecting joy with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers. So it is, but we cannot be in right standing with God without the work of the Holy Spirit. We cannot be at peace with God, with ourselves and with others without the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And we cannot have the joy that only God gives except for the work of the Holy Spirit in us. The bracket goes around all three. The comma is inserted. It's not grandma that we've eaten. It's the whole kingdom inspired by the Holy Spirit. The whole kingdom characteristic or characteristics that we are and we let overflow out of our lives. So it is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. We're not deliberately seeking the Lord so we can keep in... If we are not deliberately seeking the Lord so that we can keep in step with the Spirit, it's easy to confuse happiness with joy. It's easy to confuse the feel-good experience, which is not wrong in itself, but it's easy to confuse that with joy. It's easy to be insecure in our faith because it's not grounded in our being, it's, ex it's purely experienced. And we can think that we're growing in Jesus while we remain immature. And that's a bit of an anor uh, realization. How do we know when those things are, are false? When we are actively, intentionally, I love that word, intentional, intentionally, Seeking God 
to keep in step, to walk with the Spirit. And when we do that, the overflow of that is our being is transformed. And the character of the kingdom is not just deposited in us, but is lived out of our very being. So how then is Jesus joy to the world? He doesn't appear to be to everybody. But we declare, we sang just now, joy to the world. The Lord has come. How is Jesus the joy of the world? So, again, we have to take things in their own context. He is the fulfillment of a promised Messiah, Christ, anointed leader, that God had been at severe lengths throughout the Old Testament to demonstrate, to promise. If you've been following our Christmas blog series, the 12 blogs of Christmas, then you would have got some additional insights into just the incredible continuity of God's promise right throughout the Old Testament that came to fulfillment, came to fruition, came to tangibility in Jesus. So Jesus is joy to the world because he is the proof of God's faithfulness to his promises. I don't know about you, but over the years, particularly in business, I have really wanted to do business with people that I believed I could trust, who had good integrity, who did what they said, and made the effort that if they had said, okay, I'm going to do that, they would do it, even if they discovered that it ended up being to the, at their own cost. We celebrate those people. We want, to, we want to do business with them because we know that we can trust them. This is the kind of trust, the kind of integrity that God demonstrated in fulfilling all of those prophecies. And that's why Jesus is the joy of the world because he demonstrates God is faithful. He is who he says he is and he does what he says he's going to do. This is the kind of truth that requires a perspective, though. If you remember the scripture we read last week about uh, from what, 2 Corinthians 5, where it starts off in verse 16 by saying that once we looked at Christ with a very limited sense of knowing. I want to, I want to talk about that kind of perspective. It's the kind of perspective that when we're confronted with the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, and we respond in faith, that we get a new perspective. We get a, the kind of perspective that leads to righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Sounds terribly exclusive. You've got to be in to understand this thing. It's not exclusive, but it is. It's not exclusive because it is available to everyone. Joy to the world. It is exclusive 
because you've got to be in to be able to see. <laughs> There's the irony. It's a non-exclusive, exclusive perspective. Don't ask me to elaborate beyond that. <laughs> and what's amazing is that if we read the scripture, because I don't know about you, but I like to talk about, I came to know Jesus one Saturday evening in September 1983. Actually, the Bible says that we are known by him. He knew us. He made the initiative. He drew us to himself. He gave us faith that we chose to put in him. Whoa, big deal. <laughs> we do have to respond. We do have to use the faith that he's given us. But... He gave us all things for life and godliness. It is our response that draws us in. So even that is not this huge, well, you've got to have a PhD to be able to understand the kingdom perspective, to be able to understand righteousness, peace, and joy. My experience has been that many people who have PhDs have forgotten all about joy. Let's rather embrace the kingdom characteristics. Bye. My last point. After that full stop. Joy leads to worship. Philippians 4 verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice. I will be full of joy, re again. <laughs> Rejoice. Rejoicing is the act of demonstrating joy, and it is an integral part of worship. But it's also deliberate, intentional, and it is a response to God, who He is, and what He's done. I like to distinguish praise and worship that way. We praise God for who he is. We worship him for what he has done. And to others. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. It's not the tempo of the song. Though we sometimes make that distinction. Do you know what the greatest problem in, with believers is? Do you think it's sin? I see. I set you up nicely. <laughs> it's lukewarmness. Lukewarmness is the greatest enemy of godliness. When we read of the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3.16, it says, I don't know what to do with you, so I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Why? Because you're horrendous sinners. Because you are the seat of Satan other pictures that are given to some of those churches. No, because you are lukewarm. I can't do anything with you. Better to be a great sinner than a lukewarm, self-appointed believer in Jesus. Heresy. It's Christmas. I can get away with a bit. <laughs> I want to tell you that's a profound truth. At least we have passion if we sin greatly. And I've known a few 
glorious, passionate sinners over the years. And they're fun to be around. It's a great problem as well. But at least they're living. Jesus came that we might have life and life in abundance. Don't live lukewarm. Live all out for Jesus. Whatever that means in your particular circumstance. He knows. I don't. Though I do have the privilege of knowing most of you pretty well. He knows all the deep, intimate challenges of your, and joys of your life. And he wants you to truly live and thrive. Not just abstractly and not because it's a nice idea, but because it's the character of the kingdom. And let's not forget that while joy leads to worship, worship has an object. Worship is not about singing a nice song with a nice melody. And uh, if you've been enjoying uh, the worship here at Venture Church over the last little while with a nice little guitar riff slotted in there to keep us excited, as good as that stuff is, it is about the king and his kingdom. We worship him. We worship Jesus as God. And we can't do so accidentally. After all, Jesus is declared, Revelation 19:16, to be king of kings and lord of lords. Have you ever stopped to think about what that title means? It means there are other, are other lords. There are other kings. And they think they're not subject to any greater authority. But Jesus is the king over all kings. Over Charles right now in England, who, if you look at too much of his press, looks like he doesn't understand that he's under any authority. He, Jesus is king of kings and he is Lord of lords. Embracing that is faith. When Jesus meets the centurion um, with a sick servant and he says, no, no, Jesus, you don't need to come here. Just say the word and it'll be done because I'm a centurion and I know that when I tell one of my guys, go and do that, it's going to happen. I get that. And how does Jesus, what does Jesus say? That is a great business strategy. That is a great principle of authority. He says, no one in Israel has got that much faith. Wow. Embracing and recognizing being under authority is an act of faith. Our worship is an expression of that faith. So can I encourage you? One of your New Year's resolutions, I've got a great preach next Sunday about a biblical basis for making New Year's resolutions. Can I encourage you, <laughs> which I had to preach a few times, um, can I encourage you to decide to step forward in your expression of worship because of this thing of lukewarmness? It is your enemy. And the 
Second law of thermodynamics. Have to bring some science in somewhere, sorry. Either that or software. And physics seems to be better. Stated one way, says that every system will tend towards what it describes as chaos. The most chaotic, its most chaotic state, where energy is the most random. As a spiritual principle, every situation, every value that we embrace will tend towards lukewarmness, except for our intentionality. So can I encourage you that if you sit during worship, stand up as an act of worship. Remember how Romans 14 started? Is standing sin? No. Is sitting sin? No. Am I making an issue of it? Yes. <laughs> but because I want to encourage you in your faith. Why don't you stand? Because you don't feel comfortable. Well, what is an act of faith? It's not an act of comfort. <laughs> so can I encourage you? If you sit, stand. If you stand, sway. <laughs> Don't listen to Prince. <laughs> if you sit, stand. And no, this is not Psalm 1. If you stand, sway. Move that body as an act of faith. Because you don't want to be lukewarm. You don't want to get trapped in that. You don't want to get sucked into passivity. Faith is never, ever, ever, ever static. It is alive and active. If you sway, jump up and down. Because he is worth it. So what have I said? Joy has its context, and that is the kingdom of God where he rules and reigns. So let him rule and reign in your life. Joy encompasses happiness. Happiness is not wrong, it's not sin. Joy is just so much more than just happiness. It lasts, it forms part of our character and it's part of our being. So that when we don't feel happy, we can still find joy. Joy grows by keeping in step with the Spirit. Joy grows by keeping in step with the Spirit. And joy makes us thankful and worship with every part of our being. Can I ask you to stand? I just want to ask you a couple of questions, and I'm going to ask you if you, uh, if you can stand safely and close your eyes. Just do that so that you can engage with the God who is everywhere, but especially present here now. Is Jesus your joy? Is his kingdom your focus? Matthew 6.33 tells us that it needs to be if we're to keep in step with the Spirit. And do you battle with the concept of his kingship or his lordship? In other words, his authority over you and every aspect of your life and being. If any of those is a, a negative response, decide now to embrace him for who he is and allow his peace and joy 
to flood every part of your being and life as you stand in right standing with him by faith in Jesus the Messiah who we celebrate on Christmas. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are who you say you are. There is none like you. And this morning we, we affirm, we don't make it true, but we affirm the truth that you are Lord. There are many others who have claims to some kind of lordship, even lordship in our life. Jesus, we enthrone you as King of kings and Lord of lords. You first in everything. And so we celebrate and rejoice this Christmas day for your faithfulness to us and we, we, we commit ourselves to you. Lord, may we be part of your solution in this world because we are part of the kingdom of God, characterized by righteousness, peace, and joy. May we be characterized by righteousness, peace, and joy. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. We would love to know how this message spoke to you. Please connect with us through our website, www.venturechurch.co.za or through our various social channels.